You're listening to episode 13 of In Film We Trust. I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film, from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. Directed by Patrick Bryce from a story by stars Bryce and Mark Duplass, Creep follows videographer Aaron, who accepts a job from an online ad to film what he soon learns will be Joseph's, a terminally ill man's video diary for his unborn son. Soon things take a turn as Joseph's dependency escalates and the dynamics of their work and relationship blur between the odd and the dangerous. Funnily enough, Wayne, I actually always assumed that Cannibal Holocaust was the first found footage film. I thought that's actually what the first found footage film was. Always. Until we were researching for this, I didn't realise there was a 1961 film called The Connection by a female director called Shirley Clark, experimental film director. And it was essentially, they were looking for a missing documentary filmmaker. Okay. And it was set in this milieu of drug addiction and jazz. Right. Why do you think that didn't get the same attention that later ones got? I think it was very experimental. Right. And I don't think it became a form yet. You know when things become a form, they become a movement. Yeah. And they become formulaic. That finds fans by itself, just by the formula itself, like the slasher movie genre. Yeah, basically, yeah. Because like when I was doing research, yeah, Cannibal Holocaust, 1980, uh, Ruggiero Deodato. Yep. First one that came up. Extremely controversial film. I love the backstory behind it. It's unbelievable that, like, when I watched the film, I rewatched it again recently. I still can't believe that was fake. So many of those, there's so many of the kills are so realistic. I can't believe that it was actually staged. It is, I would, I, you, look, this might sound like hyperbole, but I'd actually, I would almost say Campbell Hall costs a masterpiece, would you? I'd say a mod, almost a modern masterpiece, I yeah. would say so, it, it, so effectively, mm. and a lot of that news footage was influenced by the Red Brigade's terrorism of the 1970s. That's where it came, that's what it was influenced by? Yeah, this kind of, because can you remember in Italy in the 1970s, there was the Red Brigades, the, yeah. the communist kind of insurgency, the terrorism, the kidnappings, etc. Mm-hmm. And this was, would be on the news it would be pervasive throughout the 70s. And this yeah. is where he would get this idea for these kind of grimy yeah. news footage. I think what got it so much attention is because the actors, the characters die in the film, he actually instructed the actors to go into hiding for yeah. some time. And he was actually, Deodato was brought up on charges of murder because people actually thought they had literally died making the film. Well, the first charges were for obscenity. Obscenity, yeah. And then they were amended to include murder, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. <laughs> Look, I don't care what decade this is from. So they must be savvy somewhat to realise, well, it's clearly a film. There's, it, some yeah. of it's kind of hokey. You can kind of tell this is a yeah. film. Yeah, but the actors had to, I think they actually did have to come out of hiding in order to prove him to prove him innocent. Ridiculous, Wayne. Ridiculous, yeah. But yeah, found footage, actually, it's, the plot device itself, mm-hmm. it's not um, original to movie making. You have the epistolarial novels. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> that, that sounded wrong, but we'll go with it. We'll go with that. Even... Bram Stoker's Dracula. Frankenstein, ha- yeah. Yeah, all these like diary forms. Yeah. And you can see the genesis for found footage. Yeah, because it puts it like a first person perspective. The thing I noticed is most of them are used for horror films because it gives it that realism. It's usually about finding footage left behind from people who have disappeared and killed. Maybe it's to give it an extra credibility that it wouldn't have had otherwise if it was just directed as a mainstream horror film. And when it's done well, it's done really well. It can be really, done very well. really yeah. effective because you don't have the bells and whistles. You don't have the score, which we should say with Cannibal Holocaust, you could almost call it a hybrid, couldn't you? It did. Because there is moments of narrative in there. You have the score, you have the scenes. I think, is it in New York? The framing device of them watching the footage yeah. in New York, yeah. So there is elements of just traditional narrative there. Yeah, but then it's got, it's kind of overlaid with this almost kind of incongruous classical music played over like the huts burning down and things like that yeah so you're getting a genesis of almost a traditional film within this kind of new experimental way yeah but you also have films from like 1989 called the mcpherson tape or Mm. it's also known as the ufo abduction yeah so we're getting a even though you can't really call found footage a genre. Can you call it a genre? Because it encapsulates so many different... No, the genre is part of it, like found footage horror. So yeah. no, it's, it's, it kind of works its way. It's more kind of an encompassing term rather than a genre, I'd so say. I would say more of a form. Yeah, basically, yeah. And, well, the McPherson tape was made for just $6,500. Mm-hmm, like before post, post-production and such. I'd assume so, yeah. Yeah, because... Because the the one the film that we'd have to talk about that really brought it to the I guess the cultural forefront was Blair Witch Project, which 1999, kind of yeah. 1999, which is kind of 
formative for us because that's probably the first I don't know about you but was that the first phone footage film you'd ever heard of that probably would have been yeah I think so as well it was the first one mainstream audiences heard of because it was made for less than a million dollars and it made 250 at the box office and that did a similar thing to Cannibal Holocaust because even the advertising campaign said the actors were either missing or deceased yeah it was made for between thirty-five and sixty thousand juice. Yeah, and then the post-production took it up to like seven hundred and fifty thousand or something. So how? What did they do in post-production? What? They just stitched the footage together. I don't know why it cost that much. Does that include marketing or? Well, I don't know because were those people? You know, at the start they're like interviewing people because that this with the Blair Witch. It's like we're talking about lamb. It's like the lore. They're yeah, like the a, mythology like of the, the town. The make folklore as well. I, Shot in eight days as well. Yeah, the story I remember reading about it was when it came out, some people loved it, but a lot of folk got motion sickness because of the direct... The shaky cam. The shaky cam, yeah, it really made people feel sick. I can always remember in like high school, the debates is if it was real or not. Can you, yeah. back in the day? Or, or whether or it was... primary fan- school, I should or say. Or whether it was fantastic or just an overrated mess. What yeah. was your opinion of it then? I actually... My I opinion it. improved through the years. I liked it. I, I, think it was, I think it was one of the first films that made me really appreciate, like first horror films made me appreciate there not being like a visible monster on screen. But do you not think there was an element of bravado as well? It's like, oh, well, you don't see anything. It's not scary. Yeah, kind of thing. I can understand like the backlash it's had. And for me, found footage is an interesting idea that I think in later years has been exploited. It's kind of excuse to make a usually a horror film on the cheap and just say, oh, the fact it looks terrible and it's bad camera That's work. That's part of its appeal. It's part of its aesthetic, yeah. So, But the Blair Witch... Interestingly, that was at the time accused of ripping off a film called The Last Broadcast from 1998, yeah. which is often seen as an influence on Blair Witch, even though Blair Witch was conceived years prior to The Last Broadcast. Yeah, but Blair Witch just got all the attention. Yeah, and I mean, The Last Broadcast was extremely cheap. It was made for $900. And it was about the New Jersey Devil. Oh, okay. I've I've heard of the Jersey Devil, yeah. It did make a small profit. It did make a good profit for $900 to $12,000. Yeah. And it's still popular today with, obviously, Paranormal Activity, which actually, in terms of profit margin, was more successful than uh, Blair Witch Project, wasn't it? That's because of the price it was made for it. It was the most profitable film ever made and only shot in seven days by Mm -hmm. Oren Pelly. Yeah. And of course, and of course, they managed to neuter it like all horror, horror horror franchises are by basically making a bunch of sequels which are nowhere near as successful or as good. No, because I really liked the first Paranormal Activity. Did you? Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it though. Uh, another film I liked as well was. Did you ever see the Poughkeepsie tapes? No, I keep meaning to see that, but I've never seen it. Interesting. I only seen it because it came up. It was it was hyped in the news. It was like this new mega controversial film. Like, well, I have to see this. It's kind of part doc because they're chasing this serial killer who leaves. They find these tapes behind that he makes yeah. of his victims. And it's kind of part found footage because they're watching the tapes, part documentary because they're analysing the killer and looking at evidence. So it's kind of a it's kind of a blend of um, a blend of genres there. Wreck, Wreck was good Spanish oh, film. I haven't seen that. I know I know which one you I mean. I think it though. was remade as Quarantine in the US. Oh, was it? I really liked Chronicle actually. Chronicle had the prop the problem a lot of found footage films have of who's holding the camera there's certain scenes where yeah. there shouldn't be a camera in the scene but I, I actually enjoyed Chronicle. Chronicle not a higher budgeted one as well it wasn't was it? Uh, Josh Trank before he did the excellent fan stick movie well, <laughs> that everyone hated should we not mention that yeah but it was a high budget I've seen other ones uh, Megan is Missing that wasn't bad yeah. kind of typical teenager gets abducted storyline Searching was another one Unfriended Dark Web the problem with that one is it's not a very thematic film you're entirely watching people Skype well, Netflix put out a slew of them, didn't they? They did, yeah. These cheap, straight-to-Netflix type. If I Google you know, list of found footage movies, most of them I have never even heard of. You can make them on the cheap, you can advertise them for little, and they'll generally turn a profit. I wish I could remember. There was one made during the lockdown for COVID, and it was just on webcams. Was that the COVID killer? No, I can't remember what it was called, but it did have... It got some notability. Okay, it was then. supposed to be really... Good. No, I, I I never rush to a, to see a found footage film. I mean, I respect like what the genre, uh, what the what the concept has done, but for me, it's a lot of time. It's an excuse to just make really terrible horror films on the cheap. But look, you have to start somewhere. You could that same argument could be applied to many films, slasher films in the eighties, mm. which. Mm. We produce some good ones, I suppose. Well, some people say the found footage is the new slasher. Yeah. Well, maybe a decade ago, it's kind of fell out of favour again, the phone footage. Yeah, also been neutered by overuse, I think. Well, Creep, which came out in 2014, that was somewhere after the, the boom that Paranormal Activity created, because Paranormal Activity was 2007, wasn't it? It was, yeah. 
And you, there's a big difference in this and other phone footage. Did you aesthetically? I didn't think there was much similarity with a lot of them. Not with a lot of them, no, because it looks kind of more higher quality. Do you think? I don't even know if it's the quality. I think it's just the tone of it seems way different. This is more of a psychological piece, which we'll get to later. It's not just uh, thrills, bells, and whistles. Because most of this film is just two guys talking to each other. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, basically, and it's they're played by it's Patrick Bryce. If I'm saying that right, he directed it, and it was written by Bryce and is it Mark Duplass? Mark Duplass. Yep, they Duplass. actually met each other because Patrick Bryce made a thesis film for a university called Maurice, mm-hmm. which was about the last porno theater in Paris, which played 35 millimeter films. Which Mark saw this and was kind of was the catalyst of them working together. That's which it. which is what I really like about the Duplass brothers, JB yeah, and JB because the they have other their own one. production company. Don't well, they, they have their own production company, which this isn't made by, I don't think. A Blumhouse Tilt. Blumhouse, yeah, but. They have this this independent spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they've got a huge name, the Duplass Brothers, within cinema now, yet they continue, for the most part, to make these cheap, small films. They're very prolific as well, because when I seen Mark Duplass, you told me about him, I looked at a picture of him, I thought, I recognise his face, and then I looked through his filmography, and I thought, other than Creep, I've not seen anything he's done, not movies, TV, nothing. Well, he's currently in The Morning Show, you know, with Jennifer Aniston and I think Reese Witherspoon. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. But no, Mark Duplass came from this movement in the early-ish 2000s called Mumblecore. Yeah, you've told me about that. I've still yet to see any Mumblecore, it, It's almost like this. This film actually kind of falls into what they term mumble gore. Mumble Gore. Oh, yeah, I don't think clever. Your Next was a, another Mumble Gore film, but it, it's essentially the same thing. These cheap, small, improvised films, mm-hmm. which is why they got this term Mumble Core, because it sounds like they're very talky. Mm-hmm. They're less plot driven. Yeah. And they're usually Mumble Core films, the Duplass Brothers, and that, like these post collegiate films about life. Just kind of making films on the cheap, just like with your inspired by like what conversations with your friends. Essentially, yeah. Because, yeah, this film was because what they wanted to do, Duplass, they wanted to make a film like a two piece. I think they called it a two hander. So movies like uh, like Misery or Fatal Attraction or like more recent, like Swiss Army Man. So movies that are essentially based on the relationship or the bond between two characters and very little else and uh, Fatal Attraction plays heavily quite into this I'd say do you know it does very yes. much so the, the themes were I saw that was one of the influences like oh yeah you, yeah, well, you that's detectable yeah and the central storyline itself was based by Bryce's experience on Craigslist yeah that's that's an advertisement you don't want to use Craigslist yeah. I've never have you used Craigslist I've never used Craigslist I've never heard anything but bad stories about Craigslist yeah yeah because the story he specifically cited was uh, he bought uh, a bed from on Craigslist from someone in New York borough and he went round to this house to get this bed and they're disassembling the bed he'd been there about half an hour and the guy who was selling it started gushing about his divorce and broke down in tears and he was kind of you know kind of touched by this and so oh, I can't believe this guy's opening up to me so soon but at the same time he was thinking maybe I should get out of here because he wasn't feeling completely safe in the situation that sounds like Patrick Bryce's character Aaron in this film a little. Does yeah, it sounds exactly like it. Doesn't Sympathetic, it? but wants to go, doesn't know what to do. Needs to get out of the. Uh, and the f- we've, we've filmed in a week this film. Yeah, filmed which in a is week. a quick way. Well, they say a week, but they worked on it a year. Yeah. So, but it's, it was from a bare bones, like maybe just a couple of pages of script. Five page outline. Yeah, it's the kind of like when Ross Noble, the comedian, he says he goes on stage with about five words and a bit of paper and just improvises everything. So Well, they'll just jot down words to jog the memory. You kind of improvise from there. And I think that's what a lot of these... I think Blair Witch done the same thing. They did, because I think they actually left cue cards hiding around the, yeah. the set in the woods. Yeah, Can you get away with that still? Probably not. No, I, I think they did treat the actors pretty bad. Like they starved them, they dehydrated them, and they just stick them out in the woods. So I'm pretty sure you wouldn't get away with that. Do you know nowadays. what counts, though? What? It was a good film. It was I nice. like the Blair Witch. It was worth it. In the end, it made its money, yeah. And uh, it was originally called Peach Fuzz. Which Peach is, Fuzz, it will. Which, yeah. is, which is something that comes into play, but it makes sense. They said they changed it because that would distract from the story. Would it? In a sense, I think it would, yeah. Like maybe folk, especially at the start, would be thinking, why is it called Peach Fuzz? I wouldn't start thinking that until later on. The only thing I think Peach Fuzz would actually play into this film is a lot of people, and we'll get to this, mm-hmm. thought there was no ambiguity in the film. So from the get-go, you knew somewhere where the story was going. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was maybe called Peach Fuzz, you'd have maybe been more, hmm, what is actually going on? Who is doing such and such? So uh, Exactly, and it was, it was filmed... The way they made the film is very interesting. They essentially had lots of conversations together. They chose the best ones and they used those. And it's good because they could refine it as they went along. It's essentially editing on the go, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, as we said, it, it was filmed in a week, but I think at one point Jason Blum was brought on. Yeah. And he kind of guided them into the ways of how to make it more horror-like. Mm-hmm. Because neither of these guys were fans, actually, of the found footage genre. They'd only seen the Blair Witch Project. They just wanted to give it a try. He, Duplass says, I don't love the found footage movie per se, but I love the form. Our beliefs was a form isn't inherently bad. How you use that form is bad. And I think how people are using the found footage form is getting really repetitive and boring as shit. So we were trying to lighten it up a bit with our weird tone. So, uh, so basically you see a movie, a movie type, a movie concept, and you get sick of how it's been overused. Like, right, this is how we should... Do it. Kind of like when Scream came along and tried to kind of redo the... It was the whole meta it. thing. It, yeah. it, it was in on the joke. Yeah, like when New Nightmare, both Wes Craven films. Yeah, obviously. well, yeah, New Nightmare. We should get around to that one. Yes, I think it was a good idea, that, I think. But, um, yeah, so that's just what I was saying with the tone of the piece. This is what I'm saying. You can definitely see there's a difference in tone between this, for example, and the Blair Witch, or this and... Grave Encounters. Mm-hmm. There's almost an offbeat humour to this film. There is, yeah. Same with Poughkeepsie Tips, because that movie's got like no humour at all. But yeah, this is more... Is that bleak, is it? Yeah. This is more... You can almost call it like a banter film. I was calling it that a lot, a banter film, because it's just all about just two mates just having a chat, basically. Well, when it was called Peach Fuzz, it was originally just a black comedy relationship film. A bromance. A bromance. A bromance That's what thing. I'm trying to say. You, yes. can, you can see elements of that that have remained in the final product. Okay, so with Creep, we're here, we're at the start, Wayne, and Aaron, played by Patrick Bryce, he is driving on his way to a gig. Mm-hmm. He's got a job, he's kind of a down-and-out videographer, would yeah. you say? And he's he's talking to himself, he's doing this, it's like a video diary, basically, he's yep. kind of introducing it. I wonder if this is just something he normally does, maybe? I think that's it. I, I, I get the impression he's not far out of university. Mm-hmm. He's probably majored in film, hasn't yeah. he? And now he's, it's hard for him to find work. So now he's on Craigslist. He finds this job, 1K for a day's work. That's not a bad day's work. pretty good. He does have a very optimistic attitude, I would say, because he's going out. It's a remote location. I guess he's probably thinking, this is his first big job. You know, let's do a good job of this. Let's get this done. But, and he's obviously got the male fantasy thing going. He's kind of playing with the idea. Maybe it's this 40-something woman who just wants her feet rubbed or something. A middle-aged lady looking for a, looking for, quote, rubdowns. Rubdowns. He should be so lucky. It definitely <laughs> isn't, because this um, employer has asked, discretion is appreciated. Yeah, I bet. Which... That's a weird thing to... It is very important. For. There are many lines in this film, many lines I highlighted, where when you hear the line, there's a thought that immediately comes to mind. When it said, discretion is appreciated, I thought, yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, you know, it is, Wayne. Mm-hmm. It's our favourite word. Mm-hmm. Foreboding. Foreboding, yes. It's foreboding, <laughs> foreshadowing. We will get that in every fucking podcast. Foreboding films. <laughs> you can guarantee we'll sneak that in every time. It has to be in, yeah. Also, the place he's going to is a, and I highlighted this as well, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, mountain town we're at, Wayne. Yeah, possibly the most ominous of all horror film locations. And a little cliched we may add. What, slightly... I guess. But the, have you of. noticed this? Um, this film uses cliches and it mm. subverts cliches. There is a lot of subversion going on this Yeah, film. yeah. So w- don't be put off when we say Cabin yeah. in the Woods and think, oh, this is a, This sounds yeah. typical. It's even highlighting it's something. It's in on the joke. Yeah, it's even highlighting something you think will be a cliche, but they do like, exactly. an interesting spin on it. So we approach this guy's house. Mm-hmm. We Aaron has got to his destination. Mm-hmm. There's a shot of an axe. Mm-hmm. Wayne, what's that word? Chekhov's axe. Chekhov's axe, right. <laughs> so there is no answer at the door. No. He, you notice he even has a really old school door, but you don't press it, you kind of turn it, and it's this kind of very old, strange rattling noise. I don't think I'd saw that before. No, no, it's like a kind of thing. You don't press the doorbell, do you? No, you like, It's it. almost like you're turning a key. It's like a key, yeah. I've no, I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's peculiar. It is very bizarre. For a peculiar man. Very peculiar man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Aaron goes and waits in his car when there is no answer at the door. Mm-hmm. And how are we introduced to the second protagonist of this, or antagonist, mm-hmm. whatever way you want to say it? Well, as we were talking about subversion before, he's introduced, literally introduced, through a jump scare. This film loves a jump scare, Wayne. It does love a jump scare. I think, though, it's, again, we'll get to more later, I think it's making fun of the jump scares. Yeah, there. they're in on, this is what I said, they're in yeah. on the joke. They're, I, they're not thinking yeah, this is no. greater than. When I watch horror films nowadays, whenever a jump scare comes on, I start rolling my eyes, I get so fed up with it. Oh, lazy film it's, like, it's like, oh my God, a door slammed, oh my God, a light came on. But for here, yeah, like I say, I think it is used to its advantage. Yeah. But this film appreciates brevity, because mm-hmm. the two main characters are introduced to one another within four minutes. Mm-hmm. Four minutes of the film were introduced. Straight 
straight away they're put together. Yeah, and like I say, Joseph, because he sat in his car, Aaron, and then Joseph like, Wah! like that. Right, he's right at the car window. Yeah, very good. And I was like, is this a cheap tactic or is this just a way to introduce us to his, let's be honest, kind of bizarre personality? Yeah, Joseph, played by Mark Duplass, is a very, very peculiar man. Do you know one reason I think he were, he wanted to play the this character? Because he has a very serial killer-like smile, I thought. Do you think? Well, he's well. Pretty scary smile. Mark Duplass said, he says there is elements of himself in Joseph. Well, he, not- he said the ability to adapt to their personality to different situations he only amplified it to predatory levels for Joseph. I'm not working with him in the future. Yeah, <laughs> that makes him sound a bit uh, off. But yeah, yeah, Joseph is very over-friendly. Very, very kind of almost too ingratiating. You know the people that you've... I've met people like this. I've sat... I remember when I was in um, when I was in Perth in Australia, I was sat next to a guy in a train station. Within five minutes, he was telling me all these personal details. It's like this kind of almost too ingratiating. Was he drunk, Wayne? No, I don't think he was. I think he was on his way to work. Well, that makes it wor- <laughs> that makes it worse. It does make it worse, yeah. So how? What, so what's the driving force here, Wayne? You tell us. Why are we introduced to Joseph? What What's the driving force of Joseph? What in? are in there what's happening is joseph as he tells us he has an inoperable brain tumor he said he's a cancer survivor yeah liver to lungs liver to lungs but now that's gone and now he's got an inoperable brain tumor he's married to a woman called angela and she's pregnant with their son who they're going to call buddy well it was buddy not in what what there's another horror film with a guy called buddy was it chucky maybe buddy buddy doll i don't know no that was just a chucky uh no, good guy doll. Good guy good doll. doll. Yeah. But it must be buddy. But what he wants is he wants Aaron to film him for the day, as we uh, as we found out. He wants to film him for the day, just doing things with him, introducing himself, because he thinks he might not be around for Buddy's birth. He might not be around to see him grow up and whatnot. So he wants to capture himself now. The warts and all of yeah. who his father is, doesn't he? But he wants to have good memories of him. Yeah. Joseph has a lot of lines in this film, like which, when you watch it through, don't think too much of. But when I watched it back, lines like, this is going to be a good day, or bear in mind, he's just met him here, you have a really nice, kind face. Yeah. And he hugs him almost straight away. And what I like is another one of these things, he says, it gives him a big hug straight away and says, it's not weird, which is exactly the kind of thing a person would say before or after doing something weird. Joseph is set there from the start to be, you're suspicious of him. I think straight away they put us on a kind of edge, like not but knowing which way Joseph will go. But you don't know at the same time, are they making, are they setting him up as the fall guy, but he's not going to be the bad guy. Because mm-hmm, so. you do kind of think that at the start. There's there's some ambiguity at the start, I'll, I'll have to say, yeah. So yeah, our first introduction really after that is... Uh, tabby time. <laughs> now. It's not nothing to do with ice cream. If you're Aaron, do you film tabby time? No, what I thought was watching this tubby time, because he's, he's in the bath and he's pretending that he's bathing Buddy, which is something his dad used to do to him. And I thought... He could have done this himself with a camera and a tripod. Yes. He doesn't need something. I wouldn't want someone sat there filming this, especially no. not a stranger. Oh, well, would, you, would, would you rather I film you in the bath What's, doing that? Yeah, of course. Oh, well. <laughs> okay, Joseph. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's, he's miming, bathing, buddy. He's playing with the baby's tootsies and tootsies all them. these childlike um, yeah. remarks. Because he's like, he's pretending the baby smells. He even uses the term, he goes, ooh, he's like, was it stinkeroony? Never heard that one before. Stinkeroony. But he does get serious. Very serious. And he says he can't help thinking that, is it death's coming? Something to that effect. And then he pretends to drown himself. Yeah, he does the thing where he like sinks in, he's just below the surface. Uh, Actually, at one point in this thing, I thought this was a very strange, inappropriate start. While he's doing the bathing, he says at one point, we're going to go a lot uh, places a lot deeper than this. Well, he he was being honest. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to give him that. Yeah. And what happens after he pretends to drown himself? Well, Aaron... a fucking jump scare, Wayne. <laughs> Aaron leans over him. I don't think I would get to the angle he got to, but he jump scares him, which is jump scare number two. We're keeping a running count here. Did you keep a count? I did keep a count. How many was there? Oh, no, 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 no. We'll no, get to that. We'll get to that. It's a lot. Then. It makes it more fun if you point them out as you go along. Yeah, but that's jump scare number two. And, and then, then we're introduced to... Uh, it's Peach Fuzz. Mr. Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz, the, the wolf, which... It's a face mask. It's a mask that the dad made, apparently. The dad created, and he does this strange little dance, and he sings a little tune saying, I might look like I'd eat you up, but I'm as friendly as a rabbit. Mm-hmm. Which I think speaks to the psychology of Joseph. I think I was going to say, as soon as he sung that thong, song, I thought, is this song just, you know, just a child song, or is it a song that's reflective of his own psychology, his own personality? 
throughout this whole film, there is these little Easter eggs and nuggets, mm-hmm. and he's almost explaining his own psychology to the audience. Did you find that? Yeah, it's like he's slow dripping his personality. Yeah, I, I very much got that. Little bits like that. And he says, so they're doing this peach fuzz thing, and then he takes him away on a, it's like a forest trail. Is it Joseph driving Aaron's car at this point? Oh, I don't know. It looks like, because I can see, like, it looks like the yellow kind of outrun, uh, outline of the door. Well, maybe it is. I think it is. And he says they're going to go to this place. Miracles which, of the Wall. Which has a Spanish name. And I looked up, that is actually the translation. Because I was thinking that would be like a like a, an Easter egg. Like, did you ever see the movie Anchorman? They're at this. Yes. They're at, uh, I think it's a Mexican restaurant. And there's a, the sign outside is in Spanish. And it actually translates to, we spit in your food. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking it was... Miracles li- of the water sounds a bit more <laughs> touching. <laughs> Miracles of the saliva doesn't have the same thing, does it? But they go to this place and he says, it's a, a place you can cleanse yourself. You can- yeah, it's it literally it's supposed to be a heart-shaped indentation yeah. in the in the rocks. Yeah. But he says, the people who can benefit from it are only the people who are pure of heart. What exactly does that mean? I have no idea. Who is pure of the Those heart? Those exactly? without sin? I don't know. Newborn babies, maybe? But I'll tell you what, Wayne. <laughs> Joseph don't fit pure at no, heart. No, no, he does not. And or does he? <laughs> oh, maybe. Did you get Blair Witch vibes at this point? Well, in the woods. Because they're out in the woods and Joseph, he has a habit of doing this. He just runs off because he's talking to Aaron and then he just bolts. He pretends he saw somebody, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And he runs off after him because they've both got these funny matching kind of Fargo hats at this point, don't they? Yeah, what are them hats called? They're like trapper hats. That's it. Oh, is that with, with, the, with the flaps over the Because he grabs them from the cupboard and said, twinsies. Yeah, yeah that's where Peach Fuzz comes in because Peach, Peach Fuzz is in the top of the cupboard. With Peach Fuzz, there was another jump scare as well. <laughs> yes, I, I guess it kind of is, but I'm, 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 only, I'm not counting that as a Joseph jump scare. Are you not? That's what we're calling him, Joseph jump scares. Oh, you've been very conservative with your uh, jump scares here. Right? I certainly have, but he runs off and uh, Aaron Cross follows after him. It must be annoying for him because he has to carry this camera and keep it in focus and everything. And then uh, he goes up to rock and then Joseph jumps ah. up and jumps up again. Jump scare number, what is that way? Under twat, jump scare number, jump scare th- number three. Jump scare number three, And yeah. he's elated, Joseph, because he says, you just had a near-death experience. That's what it feels like when you're going to die. Mm-hmm. There was two seconds there when it looked like you wanted to kill me. Maybe he should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he also says, there's an animal in you. Ooh. Which is a bit, and another line, I have an axe back at home. And that really made me think, if you were, like, a, a knife is a common murder weapon, but if you went through someone's house and you went through the kitchen and there was a knife on one of the units, would you think twice about it? No. No, and if you went out to someone's stick shed and you see an axe, you wouldn't think twice about that either. But it's just like, maybe, have we been conditioned because of horror films to suspect these items? Yeah. It keeps you on edge. It does. because It makes you look around left, right, up. What's this for? Because you see an axe and you don't think, oh, that's for chopping wood. You think, oh my God, it's a potential murderer lives here. So yeah, when he he makes reference to the axe, he says, you thought I was going to kill you with the axe, didn't you, be honest? And he says, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, would you not have went if you thought he was going to kill him with an axe? I suppose about $1,000, man. $1,000 is worth getting your head chopped off, I suppose. I suppose so. So we find the heart in the rock. Yeah. What I liked about this is it literally is a heart heart-shaped yes. in the rock. Do you think they found that when they were scouting locations or did they just know about that rock ahead of time? I wonder. I would like to know how close they lived to that area because mm-hmm. I'm not sure because that's a that's a specific thing. Unless, I suppose with the internet you could just research, couldn't yeah. you? But it's unlikely. I mean, you could have said like, right, we've written a heart-shaped rock into the story. Let's Google heart-shaped yeah. rocks around the world. Oh, wait, there's one over here in this far-flung country. But Joseph does something else creepy here, Wayne. Mm-hmm. And what does he do here? He carves a heart... Mm-hmm. In the stone, and inside that heart is J plus A, which I didn't think too much about because Angela's wife. Because Angela's wife, yeah, who he has mentioned, but then I'm like, oh, Aaron as well. Aaron, so, there's some ambiguity there, it, Wayne. Ambi- ambiguity. Who is it, Wayne? Mm. Oh, it could be. Oh, any. it could be anybody. Anybody that begins with an A. Anybody. Anybody. Well, there you go. Joseph loves anybody. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think he does as well. I think so. And at this point, he's very. Hung- They're both very hungry. Well, Aaron even mentioned earlier he was getting quite hungry. Especially when Joseph said he didn't actually know how to get out of the woods. They didn't know where they were. Didn't yeah, they, they, where they were. he was lost. Do you think he was... Uh, that, he, no, that was a tactic. Maybe. We'll just go, just follow back the way you came. Because they soon got out. They did, yeah. yeah they so. didn't even think about that because he says he's going to take him to a pancake place. Pancake place where his family has been going to for years. Years, yeah. But I don't think they've been there because... I'm not sure. Did Aaron, did Aaron makes a reference saying, I thought he'd been here loads. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting thing as well, because uh, Joseph said he's been coming here for years. It's brilliant. He opens the menu, what's good here? And Aaron's like, I thought you come here all the time. Yes. Now, what's weird about this is you could interpret that as, 
oh, he's never actually been here, but he managed to oh, make up an excuse. But there's a restaurant and a bar in Edinburgh that I've been going to for years and years. Since I graduated university, it's changed hands about four or five times. And every time that happens, the menu changes. So I'm totally sympathetic. Maybe the menu has changed a bunch of times. I see a lot of similarities with you and Joseph Wayne. Oh, really? <laughs> jump so, scare. Yep, jump scare. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> but they, have this, they do have this very... Very kind of heart-to-heart discussion, because this is where... Well, here's the thing with this scene, and I think this scene does well. Mm-hmm. This is where you're further in the psychology of Joseph. Exactly. They've been introduced, we kind of know who they are, but then they're going to kind of move Because the whole forward. first act of this film is basically Joseph ingratiating himself to Aaron, and he's over-friendly, he's overcompensating, but there's nothing really malicious at this point. You no. may think it's just a strange guy who's overly familiar because we've all met them kind of i was people. gonna say at this point you're thinking this is a kind of strange guy but i know people like this i've met people who are like this it's like they're kind of socially awkward and their compensation mechanism is to be too friendly too friendly basically or they'll try and buy your affection if you're at the pub they'll beer after beer after beer to try and ingratiate into your group yeah well he is, he is buying him food well he is buying him food exactly and a weird question joseph comes up with is there something you're ashamed of so this is, for me, where the psychology changes. It is. It's also a weird question because I can't think of many people who aren't ashamed of something they've done in the past. And do you know what's even weirder, I think, than the question? Mm? Was the answer. It's a strange story. Did, Did you th- feel like he was ad-libbing this? Because we know a lot of the script is ad-libbed. Yes. There's some bits later on that I think are ad-libbed, and, it's, and there's, a, there's a good reason for it. I feel like a lot of stuff... Because he is looking off kind of yeah. off to the side a lot trying to think but Aaron says he used to pee himself as a child a lot yeah. and now this is something I've never heard of Wayne mm-hmm. so in order to deal with him peeing himself his parents attached a device to his hand mm-hmm. that would monitor if there was wetness in his pants yeah. and on that it would beep yeah now is that not more humiliating it sounds more overcomplicated. Then could they not just have like got like a nap, like a kind of over bigger nappy or something like that? I have no idea. No, that seemed very complicated. It almost then, seemed like then, he was making it up. Therefore, everybody knows your secret that you've pissed yourself. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you hear beeping, all the kids move oh, away. He's pissed himself. The kids move away from you in the playground. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a very strange story to pick up. I don't know why, but again, maybe it was improvised. It seems like a weird story to make up. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it, it does the job. Yeah, but but uh, but then again, they turn the tables around. What's, oh, this this, this yeah. is where it gets a bit creepy. What's Joe? Joseph afraid of. He actually takes out, uh, sorry, ashamed of. He takes out his phone. And those scenes where Aaron was at the house outside the door ringing the bell. And nobody was there. Mm-hmm. Actually, he was there. And he was taking photos of him without him knowing. And Joseph was taking photos. Mm-hmm. Because he says he was nervous. Mm-hmm. Joseph was nervous. And he thought if he got to know Aaron before he got to know him, he'd be less scared. Sort of. He said, why did you do it? And he says, I don't know. He says he honestly didn't know why. And like I say, he gives that explanation, which is a strange one, but it's not... It could have been a lot worse. I mean, I, I'd almost buy that explanation at this point. Well, the thing they do well, really well with Joseph, I think, is they set him up as creepy, or almost creepy, over-familiar. And we all know over-familiar can be creepy. But he always is upfront about things. He gives mm. you an explanation. Mm-hmm. It, there's this grooming process going on, isn't mm. there? And this is what I find interesting about film. We'll make the point later. But from now, the difference between Act 1 as we're going into the film is he's mm-hmm. not just being friendly. He's still being friendly, over-friendly, over but now he's mining information, isn't he? He's gently digging. Yeah, gently digging, gently finding out about Aaron, finding out his little, what's, what's he ashamed of. And these are tactics you see in documentaries of when people are grooming another. Mm-hmm. They're trying to ingratiate themselves into into the person's vulnerability. They have to find out as much about them as they possibly can, what as as a way to maybe use it later on. Well, you can when you know somebody's vulnerabilities and then you pretend to be on their side, you can exploit that vulnerability when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after the buys him pancakes, which I have to say was very very nice of him, they go back to the house and then he offers him a nice glass of whiskey, which is quite a hard uh, thing to. Push away. Who doesn't want a whiskey? Well, I don't actually, but, but I, honestly not, don't actually like whiskey, so... Aaron, you don't? <laughs> no, I don't actually, no. no poor, poor Scotsman. <laughs> Cross the border now. Get you, over. You can, have, you can have a double nip, yeah. No, thank you. I'll, yeah. I'll take yours. Yeah, so Aaron, he's... I think when Joseph showed them them pictures at the Pancake House, Aaron's a bit put off now because he's trying to leave now Aaron, and, he's had to go back, to and he's had to go back to the cabin with him. Yeah, and he's had to go back because obviously they took the same car. But... Right, so we're 20 minutes, apparently, from the town. Mm-hmm. 
Joseph is saying, let's have a whiskey. Aaron's saying, I need to get home. But Mark says, it doesn't matter if you have a whiskey. You can even coast down because it's only 20 minutes. Yeah, he says that. But the moment he said, let's have a whiskey, I started thinking, I think I know why he's offering the whiskey because of I the, thought it was going to yeah. go a different way, though. Oh, did you? I'll tell you in a minute because it's the, actually the opposite what happens. Oh, okay. So um, we go for this whiskey. But when they're saying this outside the house, trying to get him to have this whiskey, did you notice how it shot Mark uh, Joseph's at the top of the stairs? Mm-hmm. Aaron's near the bottom. There's this power dynamic. Now it's like switch. Joseph has the power. Oh, Usually yeah. in film, you see that when somebody is raised above the other, it's showing the power dynamics. Or where they have like an upward camera. Yeah, well, yeah, well that's, that's essentially that's, that's, that's usually the powerful baddie. Yeah, well, yeah. that's essentially working the same. We're seeing Joseph now elevated, and there's a conveniently the outdoor light behind him, giving him a and slightly ominous yeah. look. And he's tempting him up into the house exactly. to have some of his whiskey. Yes. Yeah. When they have this whiskey. There is this weird conversations Mm -hmm. because Joseph is trying to, he's mining more information, isn't he? Mm -hmm. And he gets out the Aaron's a bit strapped for cash. He's kind of probing his vulnerabilities at this point, isn't he? Yeah, which a lot of these kind of people who groom people do, they exploit your vulnerabilities to use them at later time. It's basically like recruiting someone into a cult, isn't it? They find your vulnerabilities and then they they try and and cure you of that, I guess you could say. Well, they're, they're getting... The other person in their favor, mm-hmm. Get, getting you under their thumb. Under yeah. their thumb. And he's, yeah. Even at one point, he says, um, "He says, oh, Aaron, there's a like, there's a check in your boot," and he immediately has a Checks, look for it. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, you know, that proves that you have money problems." Because Joseph suggests that he's actually quite well off, doesn't he? Well, he suggests it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it not? Is it, is the family not got money or something? There's something, something like, like that. So he's acute. He said he's taken a long time to accumulate this wealth, even though he doesn't look that old, really, does he? No, he would be, what would say, late 30s? Yeah, possibly. he looks older than Aaron, but I don't think he looks, like, he doesn't look old on. Well, well, Joseph mentions that Patrick's a young guy, or Patrick himself maybe mentioned a young guy. Patrick doesn't look that young, does he? No, well, again, you said, like, maybe not long out of university kind of thing, mid well, 20, mid-20s look, kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. So, and maybe the beard was aged. Probably the beard eye, the fact he has hair as well. Bastard. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. And, um, this is where Joseph says another kind of weird line. He says, "Just says I lied to you," and it's a it's a a sentence that's given a lot of weight because there's a long pause afterwards. Yes, it gets to this point in the film where Joseph will say something. Aaron won't immediately respond. There'll be a time where it's like he's thinking, "What's the right thing I can say? Maybe not to upset this guy." Is this where a head and when the camera turns off? Wayne? It is not turned off. It's placed down. Does he place down? No, no. But Joseph it? thinks the camera's turned. He off. He does think, yeah. But it's we don't see anything because the camera's like covered up. But we do hear everything. But we hear, and he has the conversation. What I liked about this is there's almost a change in the audio quality. Have you ever watched shows where it'll show interviews that people had with people like like Ted Bundy yeah. or Eileen Wuornos, that kind of cassette tape? Or recording uh-huh. quality, it sounded like that. It's like a camera, or like a recorder has been placed in a room with a serial. Do you know what killer. it made me feel? Mm-hmm. Almost like he, the speech Joseph is to tell. It's more confessional. It is. It well, has that confessional quality, like you're being interrogated. It essentially, is a confessional. Yes. It's a um, very bizarre story. And do you want to say what Joseph tells? Well, the story is he came. He was looking because now when when you said Joseph said he lied, now Joseph is going to tell us what he's ashamed of. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. But then again, this could be a lie as well. well but yeah. He opens his internet browser and there was animal porn on it. But it wasn't his. No, because only him and his wife have access to laptop. He assumed that he she had done it and she confronted him. He said no. Then he bought, he went and bought the peach first mask. So already what he said earlier about it, that's a lie because he says he bought it from a shop. And then he essentially, be honest with you, he essentially broke in and raped his wife. Tied wearing, her up and raped her. Raped her. No, he... he Refers to what like like animalistic sex, animalistic like animalistic love making, but it comes later. He says basically I raped her, yeah, and he says she enjoyed and it. She enjoyed it, and he leaves out the window, mm-hmm. so she's ne- doesn't know it's Joseph at this point apparently. Yeah, and the next day she was was she happy or nonplussed or she um he said how was your day and she didn't make any kind of remark on it at all. Like it's just oh just a little thing that happens. And this, this is a very noticeable kind of tonal shift because now Aaron is clearly a lot more hesitant about this guy. A little interesting anecdote about the peach fuzz mask that I think Duplass commented on. He said, when we found him, meaning the mask, we kind of knew immediately 
immediately that it defined the movie very well. You see that in the right light, it's very goofy and it's very funny and there's a sweetness to it. And then all of a sudden you turn it at an angle and you turn off one lamp and it turns terrifying. That's kind of the essence of the film. Just like the song you sung earlier, there's bits about, oh, being nice as a rabbit, but then I'll eat you up. Which is Joseph in a nutshell. So it's almost like kind of the dichotomy of his personality. Okay, so the camera comes back on after Joseph's confession. Mm -hmm. And... Aaron's want to leave. Yeah. Anybody would be kind of disturbed in that situation. Yeah, Joseph is saying something. He's trying to wrap this up, but he doesn't think it's very good. But Aaron, at this point, is like, oh, no, that was fantastic. I don't think he thinks it is fantastic. No. He just wants to get out as soon as he can. Because he, I, I get the impression Aaron didn't want... He knew at this point that Joseph was messed up. Mm-hmm. And... When you are in fear of somebody, you try not to anger them. Yeah. So he kind of placates, placates him. him he, yeah. he doesn't use the Joseph confession as a huge deal and starts shouting about. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I'm going to go now, etc. He tries to say as little as possible. And yeah. at one point, Joseph actually says to him, this was a strange line. He said, did I freak you out with my rape story? That is yes, a mate. There's a line I've never heard spoken and well, what other answer would you give to that? So what do you think that plays into the psychology of Joseph? Is it like him almost acknowledging the weirdness? Well, this is what I said to you before. There's almost this thing where he thinks if he's overly friendly, he can almost say anything he wants. Mm -hmm. He thinks it gives him free reign to uh, reveal the dark side of it. Well, because at this point, I think he knows Aaron is not going to say anything to upset him. Yeah, so, well, he, so he's got kind of, like I say, carte blanche to say kind of whatever he wants. But poor old Aaron, his keys are missing. Keys are gone, yeah. So Aaron pours them both a whiskey. He realises, shit, this situation is getting out of hand. I think this was a fairly big pour he, as well. He poured, a very big pour. But this is what I'm saying, where the, the whiskey thing was subverted. Because I thought when they were going in, Joseph was going to be the one who drugged Aaron. Ah, uh, yeah. But, no, Aaron drugs yeah. Joseph. Which, is, is that something that actually kind of comes later on? But yeah, it's... No, it's here. Oh, was it? It's do, very, it's here. Do you actually see, him, do you see it happening? Yes, you see it happening. Oh, right. He takes some, did you miss that? Oh, yeah, I think I missed that. Yeah, I He takes have... something out of his pocket when Joseph's mm. turned and he pours it into Joseph's whiskey. Mm. That would explain the snoring. <laughs> yes, because we knock uh, Joseph out. Gla- uh. mm. Yeah, he's, he's out on like a, is it a bench? Yeah, it's a weird, like in front of the fireplace, isn't it? Yeah, and he's trying to check his pockets, which makes sense. Cause when I, I, when Joseph yeah, knocked out. Because I would assume he had it on him somewhere. Also, he's still filming at this point. At this point, is this for evidence or something? Because it seems weird that he would be filming this because like, it's pointed right at him. Do you know why they're filming? Mm-hmm. It's a phone footage film. <laughs> we have to have a plot device Again, where we... There are, there are some scenes in this films where you do think, why Why is it this That's like in all them uh, yeah. phone footage films. like, fuck's sake, just run, don't yeah, film. I, I actually said that. I said, why is he not just leaving at this yes. point? But yeah, we have to get this thing. And then, because he finds Joseph's phone, which starts ringing. Oh, it's, it does? A, oh. That's a bloody loud ringtone. So who is it on the phone with? It's, it's Angela. It is Angela. Another person. So Angela wasn't made up? Or... Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's the thing, because uh, he's talking to Angela on the phone, played by uh, Patrick Bryce's wife, actually. Mark Duplass's wife. Was it Mark Duplass's wife? Mark Duplass's wife. Patrick Bryce. But he's talking to her on the phone, and it's kind of a terse conversation. Obviously, he's trying not to speak too loudly. But then Angela says, my brother has problems. Yep. So, okay, we've set this up. Joseph, wife, Angela, unborn child, buddy. Mm -hmm. Okay, Angela... Clearly not his wife, mm-hmm. unless there's some weird incestual yes, going so on. But this is essentially kind of the movie's dun dun dun. Moment, yes, isn't it? so obviously Angela's the the sister now. Yeah, and then the phone signal cuts off, and it does that thing in movies where it doesn't just cut off; it goes like it goes, and then stops. Yeah, have you ever? Has that happened to you on the phone? No, you only ever see, you only ever hear that in films. It's the same like when you see cameras cut off; usually they just stop. And, but here it goes all hazy because it's a better effect, I suppose. Yes, I suppose. Let's give them something a bit. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he exits the bathroom and he Joseph ex- is gone. He is gone. <laughs> oh, dear. And I actually wrote in my notes, Joseph is missing. I'm expecting jump scare number five. You get it, Wayne. Mm-hmm. You fucking get it. Damn right. Cause he- because we searched the house briefly mm-hmm. and Joseph jumps into frame. Mm-hmm. Jump scare. Jump scare, yeah. And he says, death, it's coming. There's nothing we can do. And then... He changes it because you think that's okay. Okay, we're heading into horror here. But he says, I don't want to die, Aaron. Still referring to cancer. And then he starts crying because he has this very serious look on his face because we're outside. It's pitch black. The only light is essentially, is it the light that the camera is casting on his I face? I think so. Yeah, because it's, it's directly in his face. Yeah. And then Aaron says, look, Joseph, I know what's going on. I've spoke to Angela. And Joseph just jolts off. Mm-hmm, yeah. Something I thought, we're in jump scare number five here. How come... None of the jump scares 
uh, Aaron never ever drops the camera and it doesn't even wobble. Like, you know, afterwards when you've been scared, your hands are shaking. It's still a very yes. steady hand. Unless he's got a steady cam, but it's just really a handheld thing, isn't That's it? That's why he's a videographer, Wayne. Oh, I guess so. He's just got the steady hands. He just has steady hands. <laughs> he may not have the skills or expertise or, the, yeah. or be able to judge a character no. well. No. But he's got steady hands and steady that'll hands, do. Steady hands. And he's, and he's been drinking as well. But uh, yeah, thing bolts off. And, thing? Uh, sorry, Joseph bolts <laughs> there off. There you I go. I say thing. Because uh, Aaron mentions Angela. Yes. Joseph, I know about yeah. Angela, and then Joseph runs off. So when we do find Joseph again, he is got the peach fuzz mask. Yeah. At this point, we've had a lot of kind of that classic horror movie thing, kind of slow walking around cabins, looking around corners yes. and stuff. Yes. And yeah, peach fuzz. He's blocking that door. And he does this. Is it? Is he like grinding up against the door? It's almost like an animal um, rubbing their scent onto something. It kind of is because he's he's got his hands out in like a kind of star shape, and he's kind of rubbing his uh, rubbing his back against the door. And Aaron, very bizarre, very bizarre. Yeah, and Aaron runs at him. We get that camera effect. Like, like, the camera fizzles off, and it cuts off. And I thought that's hardly the end. And I check the time, and there's still a fair bit more. I'm like, okay. What's so what do you think about the peach fuzz mask? It, do you think, because it, it, it is like we said that that description what Mark Duplass gave that I read, it can be both innocent and it's quite menacing at the same time. Well, is it a way for him to hide his true self or to accentuate his true self? Because it's like, you know, that thing where, oh, someone puts on a mask, like a superhero, they put on the mask and then they become the other person kind of thing. I, I think the, the mask gives him the ability to portray the dark side that he can't do unmasked. Yeah, like he's doing this to unveil the true yes. side of his personality. Uh, exactly. But of course, that's not actually the end of the film, of course. No, and strangely enough, with the camera cutting off, you would almost expect when it comes back on for Aaron to be in a horrific situation, but he is actually... Back home. Yeah, I thought it would cut to like him, uh, you know, in tied his car and bound driving, or something, in, or or just in, even just in his car driving away or something. But like we that. do get this scene, mm-hmm. and this is actually before we reveal that Aaron is at home, and it, we are seeing footage of Joseph dragging bags up a hill, mm-hmm. and it, they look heavy. They mm-hmm. look heavy. I'll give him that. Oh, what could be in those bags? And he is digging the ground. So is Aaron in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. We do linger on it for a while. I do like how it plants that kind of seed. Yes. And this could be it. But no, we pull back, and that is actually Aaron watching the tape at home. And creepily enough, Joseph now knows where Aaron lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's been sending him things. Because D- he sent this CD. Uh, DVD, yeah, sending these DVDs. Yes. Because yeah. Aaron's almost making this video diary kind of for himself. Well, it's almost for evidence, I'd say. That's something because I said, who's it for himself, for the police? Unless this is the most fucked up thesis project he's making. <laughs> this is for film school. Yes, the yeah. whole the whole film is just his thesis Because he's got this DVD from Joseph, like you say, with his bags, and he says he's thinking of throwing it away. No, I'd keep it for evidence. Because he does throw the bloody thing away. Because he does throw it away. I'm like, I'm like the dude, first CD. dude, fingerprints and stuff. Keep these things. You need these things. I know. It's important later on because he throws it, because he does, you know, he does throw it away, and it's such a stupid thing to do. He's, he bends the CD. He's what like, a moron. And he's haunted and he's frightened. He's having, it's nightmares about the heart rock. And him being a baby and having tubby time, tubby time. with he Joseph. Mentions, that, that, that's more horrific than anything it else, is, that's, I think. That's awful. He's having he's seen tubby time with a straight face as well. And he's, is he not imagining he's being the heart rock and they've got like peach fuzz masks on? Yes. Yeah. And he's a baby peach fuzz. A baby peach fuzz. That's weird. <laughs> but there's a package at the doorway. Mm-hmm. There's a box. Very big package. It's a, well, thank you. Oversized. <laughs> 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 it's very oversized for what it turns out. It's in it because what it turns out, like you say, he knows his address and uh, Joseph is now sending him things. I'm getting the feeling here Joseph is like a kind of obsessive psych- psychopath. He's starting he's a to, stalker, Wayne. He's starting to stalk him essentially because... It's he's sending him these things because he wants Aaron to kind of like him. It's no, like, he doesn't. Well, I don't think he wants him to like him. He wants him to love him. Mm, even worse. Even worse. That kind of film thing where they say it's actually scarier when the killer loves you rather than hates you. Yes, because if they, they love you know, they're you, not going to leave you alone. They're not. They're not going to let you go. Exactly. It's no. like he views this thing of you know chasing Aaron around and doing whatever, scaring him. Like oh, that was just kind of a little bad thing to do. Now he needs to make up for it. Ooh, so there's a CD in this package, Wayne. Bad way of going about it, yeah. So, Joseph on the CD, mm-hmm. he says he knows he was drugged mm-hmm. by Benadryl. Was it Benadryl? Was it, it Benadryl. Was, I'm some kind of said it, have I? And he actually, does he not say that was actually kind of a good move? It was a good move, because I think Joseph appreciated that, because that's something Joseph probably has done <laughs> 10 million times before. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we, as we find out later. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, uh, Wayne. I feel like this was Joseph getting some measure of revenge, because even though he's presenting himself as a nice guy... There is this very 
almost kind of spiteful, nasty side to him. And this is him kind of getting back at Aaron, I think. And there's a knife in the package. Mm-hmm. A knife and a wolf. A wolf. And he says, Joseph says, I love wolves because they love deeply, but they don't know how to express it. So they're often very violent and murder the ones they love. Very clearly. This Who is do you think that's about, Wayne? Oh, I don't know. Uh, An- could, it could be Joseph. Angela, maybe. Angela? Yeah, I think it's a very clear thing for himself. I like how he sends him a knife. Does he assume Aaron doesn't have one or something? What is a knife for? Is that just one of their menacing things? Symbolic, yes. Well, he wants him to cut the, he wants him to cut the wolf cut open. Cut the wolf. Oh, no. Which, for me, that felt like... Uh, a reference to a lot of serial killers you know, who would go into murder a lot of people. A lot of them started as kids killing and torturing animals. Yeah, small animals. They'll take out their kind of vengeance on before they, they go to humans. Yeah, I think that's maybe that's what it was a reference. And I'll give Aaron this. He does call the cops. First, no, in the teddy before, mm-hmm. there's a locket. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Almighty. Okay. Now, this is where it gets freaky. In that locket, it's a heart-shaped locket. Mm-hmm. On each side, when it's opened, one is Joseph... One is Aaron. Mm-hmm. And it's like love forever or something on the back of it. Uh, it's it's something grim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he does call the cops. But it doesn't really get very well. I feel like, did you feel like in this conversation, he didn't really say a lot of the right things? There's like, surely he could have said, I've got this evidence, you can come around and look at it or whatever. Yeah, but he fucking throws them away always. He does, he throws the, he, he throws the DVDs away and then talks about having hot tub dreams, dreams again. There's something I really liked about this scene. He's sitting on the, he's lying on the floor on the bed and he's telling this story about more hot tub dreams. I feel like this story was ad-libbed because there's a bang later on, yes. which we have to assume is Joseph. I think what happened is they say, right, you ad-lib this story, we'll put in a bang, but we won't tell you when, to get the most genuine shocked reaction out of it. Oh, do you think they've done that? I think that's what they did, I hope yeah. so. No, I, I, I love th- them little touches. Yeah, I think so. Like, just, we'll give you a bare bones, ad-lib, bang. And he goes out the... He goes out of the back. No, no, he's actually looking around his house, isn't he? Search- oh, this is a great this shot. This is a great this shot. This is a fucking great shot. Probably the best, most genuinely scary shot in the whole because, film. Because it doesn't do it in a typical way, because Aaron gets out of bed due to this load bang. He searches the house. He goes off camera, but the camera lingers from the bedroom into the living room, and we see through the front door window panes, Joseph standing there. There's Michael Myers, isn't it? Well, it may well be. <laughs> Joseph did, is. That's what I did like, because there's a scene where Aaron is blocking the view, and then he steps away from the door, and it's just him stood there, motionless at the door. And I was actually like, oh, that's a really good shot. And the camera stays on him the whole time, because Joseph doesn't move. No, Joseph is there for a good, solid minute. You'd expect him to punch the door, but he stands there and then just kind of turns and walks away, and it's a genuinely creepy moment. Well, when um, Aaron... When you can hear Aaron, because he's obviously off camera at this moment, because he's mm-hmm. searching the house, when he kind of turns to come back to the living room, you see Joseph dash across the floor out of view. Mm-hmm. Does he not knock a bin over because he's he's going through like back lanes and stuff yeah. and he finds a bin knocked over? But Aaron puts that down to raccoons. Mm-hmm. Okay, now here is where it gets a bit, bit implausible. <laughs> you've been sent a knife, you've yes. been sent a love locket, you've been sent CDs, so you know that this Joseph knows where you live. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why are you so easy to put it down to raccoons knocked the bin over? Yeah, that's very, very stupid. Also, he uh, clearly didn't do a very good job updating his home security because we see him like, put a lock on the doors, but yeah, he needs to do a much better job of that. Okay, in films, mm-hmm. what does a lock do? If somebody is that determined to kill you, can't you not just put the door down? Mm-hmm. Or smash a window. Locks are there to be picked by hair clips. Yes. That's what locks are there for in film. And windows are there for bricks to be thrown through. And yeah, exactly. And clearly it's very easy because uh, we have a scene now where oh, sleeping. Aaron is sleeping and then <sighs> uh, some hands come out. Ooh, uh, Camera picks up and moves. Angel's hands maybe, yeah. And cuts a chunk of his hair off because I'm guessing he's going to clone him now. Because he wants to possess him. He's mm. this, this is the psychological aspect of you find... An, you know when you've watched true crime documentaries, whether mm. it's a Jeffrey Dahmer or, you know, nutters like that. And when they fixate on their victim, they don't just want to... Or the killing is part of them wanting to completely possess the individual. Well, that's what Jeffrey Dahmer did. He kept pieces of his victims and he did the thing where he poured it was like acid into someone's brains because he wanted these unthinking zombies that would obey him. So yeah, like I say, it's keep taking a keep safe, keepsake of your victim. Well, that one of John Waters' kind of interpretations of the Jeffrey Dahmer case. Yes, the the director, John Waters, has an interpretation because he's a huge true crime guy. Mm-hmm. And he's and the interviewer asked him, what is it about the eating? Well, it's so special. And John Waters said, well, they're eating because Jeffrey Dahmer is afraid to be left. Mm-hmm. He wants people around. Yeah. So his way of eating 
his victims was his way of making sure they were always with him. They consumed him, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, that, that makes total sense because he was a very lonely man. And you get the feeling Joseph is as well. And he leaves him another DVD. And yep. on the DVD, he says he's, quote, heartbroken with Aaron because he threw the other DVD away. And he found, but yeah, but to say he found the locket in the bin because it was him in the bin. bin. as well. Again, stupid thing. I would have kept everything he sent and used it as evidence. And but. Joseph says about the locket, this hurt because I made this for you. And it caused him inappropriate thoughts of what I wanted to do to you and myself. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he's doing the kind of classic psychopath thing where he's trying to kind of negotiate. He admits his failings, but yeah, how, sinc- how sincerely is he doing He's almost this? placating his behavior, isn't it? Yeah. He says he doesn't know what's wrong with him. He even tried acting, but that wasn't really enough for him. It wasn't really, yeah. Another thing I was thinking is, what is um, Joseph filming this on? Because, you know, he brought Aaron up with his camera. Clearly, Joseph looks like he has his own camera, unless he's just filming this on his own phone. Well, we find out because... Well, we'll get to that. I'll explain that later. Right, so, yes, yeah, so Joseph wants to meet at Lake Gregory at 11 a.m. the next day. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm a sad and lonely person. I really need a friend, and you're the only chance I have. Duplass really kind of sells this kind of pseudo-sincerity, you could call it. Hey, Duplass does a really good job in this film. He also, he says, I promise you don't have to be afraid of me at all. Again, that's the kind of thing that would be said by someone who you should be afraid of. Yeah, who says that if you don't need to be afraid? You wouldn't need to say that at all if you weren't genuinely needed to be scared. But here's a weird twist. Mm -hmm. Aaron actually feels sympathy for him. The guy who's essentially broke into his house, or or at this point he thinks has been at his house. Stalked him, sent him creepy gifts. Knives, lockets. Tried to keep him trapped in his house, things like this. And does he not comment on the video, Aaron, that he says... Look at him, he just looks so sad and lonely. He said he's a sad man. Oh, it... grow up here, Aaron, for fuck's sake, you're being stalked. <laughs> Again, he's, because, but the thing is so manipulative. I think he, do you think he almost has this kind of hold over Aaron? Even with just a brief meeting up. This is the, the strength of Duplass as well, because a lot of actors could have played this and there would maybe not be as much pathos to it. Mm-hmm. But because Duplass is, he's got an inherently friendly face, mm-hmm. an inherently friendly voice that you almost buy into it mm-hmm. because i don't know if have you ever watched uh, even interviews with mark duplass no he comes f- he's a very affable likable friendly guy which maybe we should be worried about duplass at this point <laughs> but um because duplass is playing this character there's an inherent sympathy you can gather for this character. So it was a good choice casting him in this role, basically. You can see why he wanted to play this kind of role. I think so. Do you not... Because you're not much on the Duplass train or don't know much about Duplass, but on your first impression of watching this, could did you find he sold the sincerity of certain scenes well? Yeah, I think you very much yes. did. I think he chose the right, I guess, the right tone, the right delivery for yeah. each thing. What's good is even when you watch it back through, it kind of changes your perception of the character but not the performance the performance is great but like we'll get to that we'll get to that afterwards but uh he does go to meet joseph in the park i don't know yep i probably would have called the cops again got them he to does watch do the place some, for all his stupidity of our mm. he does do a little thing clever he does set the camera recording from his car and he has his foot on speed dial set speed dial to the police yeah and then but then it gets even worse because he it's at the goes, very edge of the lake and there's a bench there and what's weird is he sits on the bench and he turns and looks around yes then he turns and looks back at the lake and then Joseph appears behind him. The time it took Joseph to appear there, Aaron really should have seen him. And was he disguised? I know he puts the mask on. But he must very have soft feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just because he creeps up behind him. I don't know about you. I would not be sitting on that bench looking at the lake. I'd be standing with my back, back to, the, to lake, the lake, looking everywhere I possibly could. But it's a horror film. You don't. He could have been under the water for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid people yes. must die. Yeah, he just... but yeah, he. Um, you see the axe drop slowly. Did you see that? That was mm-hmm. a good touch because he has a trench coat on. Yeah. And then typically he gets the peach fuzz mask gets put on. Mm-hmm. He raises uh, Chekhov's axe. And what does he do, Wayne? And whacks him right in the head. No Bl- blood splatter. No. Nope. Well, we're too far away to it's gather. Far away, yeah. But bludgeons right on top of the head. So is it just basically just one clean strike, basically? I think, does he hit him twice when he falls to the side of the thing, possibly? He might do, yeah. Did you not think that was a bit public? Because you can see houses in the background, and I'd assume on a day like that there'd be other people at the lake. Yeah, that's one of them mm. things. But, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of strange when you watch it. I'm like, you just yeah, go with it. But... I suppose, but he's never. I think Joseph knew he would never come back to the cabin again. So there was no chance, oh, of, yeah. there was no chance of getting him there. Or... or in the middle of the woods with the heart-shaped but block. we get a little clever nod as well because we realize what we're watching is not in real time mm-hmm. because 
we pull back and realize it's Joseph watching the tape of him killing Aaron. So we're watching Joseph watch a t- watching a tape of him killing Aaron. We're quite, kind of meta here, Wayne. <laughs> Inception. Yeah, and he's, uh, again, it's kind of handheld. And at this point, his performance is different, I guess, because he's not putting a show on for everybody. He looks creepier now. Yeah, he's... And he's saying, why didn't he look behind him? He must be the greatest person who ever lived. And he says, I will always love you. That's why he'll always be my favorite. Of them all. Of them all, yes. Okay, the, this isn't a first-time deal. Greatest, it's like, I realise why you didn't turn around, it's because you're the greatest person or ever lived, or the dumbest. But we do get, in my eyes, the best jump scare now. Mm-hmm. Because he jump scares himself. He jump scares on the video of Aaron's killing, and he screams to the camera. We turn round, realise Joseph's watching the screen, and then Joseph's screaming, Screaming to the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very strange. Yes. It's like it's like this kind of scream within a scream. I thought that was really it? effective. Did you like that jump scare? That was pretty good, actually. That was yeah. the, I thought that was the best jump scare. Of the film. I don't know why he was scared of it. He made it. Yeah. <laughs> strange. He has to scare the yeah. audience. But then he it? takes his, um, it's like a DVD, and he puts it on a shelf, which has, from what I've heard, it's like upwards of 50 people on the shelf. There is a lot. We have to assume these are other victims. And a lot of them are in VHS, so this has been going on a while. Been quite a while, because yeah. Because now Aaron's is on the CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's, do you think it seems. Um, but, but, but when he's doing this, I should say, before he sorry to cut you off he's on the phone to his next victim mm-hmm. again doing the kind of affable act yeah the affable act. and he's calling himself bill this time which is kind of strange because you'd have to assume he's using pseudonyms but his sister calls him joseph so did he use his real name when he was talking to aaron then because yeah, maybe because it's not know. like he knew how much he was going to like aaron before he That's met a good him point way yeah it's very kind of weird but uh yeah like i say upwards of 50 people do you think it's logical he would have gotten away with it for this long I don't know how many. I mean, John Wayne Gacy and that had a lot of victims. Did I? Yeah, who knows? It could have been. Let's just go with it. You never know. Yeah, but it's like he's calling up another client victim, and uh, I'm thinking at this point, if you're going to do something like this, do it at your own home. Don't go to somebody else's home, especially if it's not in the middle of the woods. We should say the house that this kind of took place in. Aaron at one point did find out was a rental. Yeah. So this wasn't their family house. And we cut to credits with this loud rock music. Weird metal. It sounded like Scandinavian metal. Oh, I thought it sounded like the band Turbo Wolf. I'm like, I'm like, okay then. So is, is this just because you watched um, Metalhead? Metalhead last night. last night. It could be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. But then it stops, and then you get a kind of more pleasant score. And yeah, that's the end of the movie. And I should say, Wayne's never saw the sequel, and it was a long, long time since I've seen the sequel. So this is just a little amendment to the end of this film, which which makes no impact on Creep 1. In the sequel, Joseph is actually named Aaron. Yeah. So he's took the identity of Aaron. Though. I think I think uh, Patrick Bryce does have a cameo in it, not as himself, of He'll course. He'll be on the tape. As, as like a different... Oh, uh, does he? Oh, no, it might be archive footage, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it comes out. So, so. yes... This was a second time viewing for me. I had not seen this since it came out in about 2014. I really liked it 2014. Held up tremendously well for me. I liked how it was more, even though it was in the found footage genre, it was more of a, it was more of a psychological examination mm-hmm. because what I found is in a lot of films, I'm not on about found footage here. The killer is um, shown during killing or in stalking scenes and which this does is because it's using found footage you're seeing the grooming side of the predator you're seeing the psychological state of the predator you're seeing how he coaxes his victims to be on his side and and exploit those vulnerabilities and i think it works as a psychological film very well yeah i have noted that this film is though it's technically a horror film it's less about creating scares more about examining a character i said it's kind of like a rorschach test you could look at this guy and you could think are these is this a kind of bizarrely endearing personality is this a guy who's quirky who's eccentric or is this a guy who's just out and out disturbing and creepy and this is how he expresses it i think duplass's performance has a lot to do with it because when i first watched it through I saw more of the eccentric and friendly side, but when you watch it back, there are a lot of sinister things I noticed. One thing I noticed is when he first, when he's talking to Aaron, when he's doing the introduction scene, cancer here, here, um, one common tactic of people who lie a lot is they look up and to the left. He never does that at any point in that introduction. I wonder if that was intentional. Do you think? I never even knew that was That's weird, because I'd heard that. I'm like, I'll watch back. I don't know if he does the rest of the film, but it's like he's trying to be as straightforward and direct as he can. Well, because he's obviously clearly a psychopath maybe he can get his into the frame of mind where he believes his own lies mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time oh yeah so like he's been telling well he's been doing it for a long time so it's like he's clearly perfected this not kind of wounded animal act but very 
sad, downtrodden individual. Oh, yeah, well, Joseph, we find out, as we've just said, is a prolific serial killer. He's been doing it for a long time. Yes. Yeah, so he's obviously, like I say, he's perfected this act. A lot of folk online have said, uh, I've seen him said, there's a lot of ambiguity over who the baddie is. Maybe early on, but later on it gets to the bit where it gets to the point where you think there's no way that it's that it's Aaron doing this. Was there any moment, and here's the thing, was there any moment when you saw Aaron drug the whiskey where you thought, oh shit, maybe Aaron's the killer here? Possibly at that bit there, but again, when he's on the phone to think, which it's like... You know, how would that have been? I have saw also comments to oppose your position there that a lot of people thought that because there was no ambiguity, it never really made it suspenseful. Mm. But I don't, it's more of a character dive into psychopathy more than an edge of your seat whodunit. It's not really a whodunit, is no, it? No, it's, it's not because, well, it's got so few players, for example, uh, for a start. But no, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's not a suspenseful movie. I think it's more about you seeing this person listening to this person and trying trying to kind of put together what this person's actually like what is this person's character what is his personality so no it's not i'm not saying it's suspenseful the scares again the jump scares clearly done as a joke as a kind of wink yep. wink nudge nudge thing because yeah they're in on the jump scares because it's, 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 sure. it's the same person doing it over and over again it's not like the cheesy one where it's like a hand on your shoulder or a cat popping yes. up or a light flickering a except door the banging. peach fuzz um jump except scare the peach fuzz thing but yeah it's it's done in a very grounded way uh, and in that aspect, I think it very much succeeded, succeeds as a character study. I'm glad you say that, because you had actually... Had, I don't think you'd heard of Creep, had you? I'd never heard of Creep. Like I say, I'd never seen, never seen, uh, really heard of any of Mark Duplass's work. And so what was your opinion going into it? Because when you, when you um, talk a film for the first time, whether it's on this podcast or otherwise, do you do much research beforehand, or do you try and go in as blind as possible? No, I like to I like to go in blind. I like to do research afterwards. If it, Had uh, you watched the trailer even? No, I didn't even see the right, trailer. I, good, I've yeah. honestly never really watched any of these trailers. So what did it differ from your expectations to actually its execution? Well, again, because of the scares yeah. are not as many... And it was a lot more character-based. That, yes. that kind of took me by surprise. But it was a pleasant surprise. It was a good surprise. I love character studies. I yes. love diving deep into somebody's psychology. So a success for you? For me, I think in that regards, it definitely worked. Yeah, it's not my favorite found footage movie. No. It's not I would rush back to. But for what it is, I think it very much succeeded, largely because of the performances, because of the free-flow structure, yes. and of yeah, just how well it's put together not to put you on the spot but what is your favorite found footage film if you have one i would probably say something like chronicle because I, I, I very much right. enjoyed chronicle i think because i think it had very much an emotional impact i think oh interesting mm-hmm. what would you say is yours i'm still a sucker for blair witch and i really like cannibal holocaust even though that's a hybrid yeah it's a strange film to recommend but yeah cannibal holocaust is if, but, you, if you're going to recommend one to somebody that's either that or blair Witch is usually the would first you recommend one. creep I think I definitely would recommend Creep. You would definitely would recommend Creep. Yes. I, I would, yes, I would recommend Creep as well. So yes, so we say, well, uh, we've got two recommends here for Creep. Two recommendations. You've been listening to episode 13 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. Join us next week where we will discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. Ah! <laughs>